He is risen. And there is no greater reason to gather than for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us all this morning. I'd like to start off our time asking you to consider what the greatest day in human history is. What the greatest day in human history is. I would like to present for us this morning that today and what today represents the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the greatest day in human history. This day changed everything. This is the day that gives us the hope for what lies beyond this life that we now live. That there is something beyond us here right now. And, and yet I, I, I would be foolish to believe that everybody actually believed that. In fact, I lived in a jungle with nearly 250 Siawi people that before they heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this would be the last thing they would be thinking about. Let me tell you a story about a man named William, William Mogham who his young nephew Robin called Willie. You see, Willie was the most famous author in the 1930s. And his young nephew Robin went to visit him just shortly days before Willie passed into eternity. And this is what young Robin wrote talking about this visit with his, his oh-so-great Uncle Willie. I looked around the drawing room at the immensely valuable furniture, the pictures and the objects that Willie's success had enabled him to acquire. I remembered that the villa itself and the wonderful garden that I could see through the windows was a fabulous setting on the edge of the Mediterranean and that this home was worth $1 million, and that's back in the 1930s. He had 11 servants, including his cook, Annette, who was the envy of all other millionaires on the Riviera. He dined on silver plates. He was waited on by Marius as butler and Henry as footman, but it no longer meant anything to him. The following afternoon, I found Willie reclining on the sofa, peering through his glasses and a Bible with him that had very large print. And he looked miserable, and his face was downcast, and he, and he said to me, I've been reading the Bible you gave me, and I've come across this quote, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I must tell you, my dear Robin, that that text used to hang opposite my bed when I was a child. Of course, it's a lot of bunk. But the thought of it is quite interesting all the same. And that evening in the drawing room after dinner, Willie flung himself down onto the sofa. Oh, Robin, I'm so tired, he said, as he gave a gulp and buried his head in his hands. I've been a failure the whole way through my life. I've made mistake after mistake. I've made a mess of everything. I tried to comfort him, saying, consoling, but, but you're the most famous writer alive. Surely that means something to you. 
And he responded, I wish I had never written a single word. It's brought me nothing but misery. My whole life has been a failure. And now it's too late to change. It's too late. Willie looked up and his grip tightened on my hands. He was staring towards the floor now. And his face was contorted with fear and he was trembling violently as his complexion grew completely white. And suddenly he shrieked, go away, he cried. I'm not ready. I'm not ready yet. I'm not dead yet. I tell you, leave me alone. And his high-pitched voice echoed from wall to wall in the home. I looked around, but the room was empty as before. Willie, however, just began to gasp hysterically. And then he died. That is a terrible story. One of the most famous men of his time who had it all. He had money. He had fame. Princes would come and dine with this man. On silver plates. And yet, what did he find at the end of his life? He found that his life was empty, worthless, and on top of all of that, he was scared to death to die. Listen to me this morning, please. Above the sound of everything that's happening out on the highway, above even the, the, what the people are doing next to you, listen to me, please. This is not the way that life was intended to be lived. God doesn't want anyone coming to the end of their life convinced that their entire life has been a terrible waste and full of emptiness. He desires that all of us would turn to him in repentance and enjoy a relationship with the God of the universe who created us to enjoy life with him. And that is why Jesus came. To grant us that life. To give us that which nothing else in this life can give us. He came to offer what this life never, ever possibly can. You can keep searching for it, as Willie did here, and you can live your entire life searching for that next thing, but you are not going to find what brings true fulfillment and true life anywhere outside of who we are going to hear from this morning, outside of the bread of eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ. Don't take my words for it. I'm not, I'm not here to share with you my thoughts. I'm here to share with you the very words of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so excited about coming this morning. You see, what we're going to look at is we're going to see a passage of Scripture long before Jesus goes to the cross and lays his life down. As the sacrifice for our sins, long before he raises from the dead in three days, Turn with me to John chapter 6 if you have your Bibles. John chapter 6. And a sermon that I've entitled, The Bread of Life. What we're going to see is he is the bread of eternal life. 
John chapter 6, verses 47 to 40, or I'm sorry, 251. And hear what Jesus Christ has to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Let me pray for the preaching of God's word. Heavenly Father, nobody wants to hear from me this morning. I certainly don't want to share my thoughts. Speak to us through your word this morning as only your word can. Your word that is alive, that is living, that is active, that is inspired, that is inerrant. And that comes from you, that you are its source. Take those this morning that are still dead in their sins and give them eternal life as they listen to this message, Lord, and by your grace respond. And those of us that have already responded, may we drink deeply and richly from your truths this morning. Thank you for giving them to us. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for your life, for your words, for your death, and Above all, we thank you for your glorious resurrection, your radiant resurrection that we are here to celebrate this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as I said, long before Jesus goes to the cross, long before Jesus raises from the dead, he claims to be the bread of life. And as he claims to be the bread of life, my outline is short. This morning, he does two things. That's all Jesus is doing here. Two things, but they are the most significant things. This is the message that we all must hear. And what Jesus does first is he gives an invitation. And then what Jesus does second is he gives a warning for all those who will not accept this invitation. That this is what your life will look like. This is how it will end up for you. The invitation is to believe and gain an eternal life of joy. The warning is to continue on in unbelief. The warning is to not believe and to die an eternal life of torment. That is what Jesus says here. By God's grace, that's where we're going to go this morning. We're going to blend in John 20. And we're going to see the fulfillment of some of what he talks about here and life testimonies of those who were there on that day over 2,000 years ago who were eyewitnesses to the Lord Jesus Christ that this isn't bunk. This isn't some fabricated story that someone came up with. This, this is the words of God. This is about the life of God taking on human form, becoming flesh. 
And so first what we see is this, an invitation to believe so that you might live. That's where Jesus starts off. That's what Jesus is concerned with. Over and over again, this is where Jesus goes. And so that's why he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Whenever we see in Scripture, and it was the same even in Papua New Guinea in the tribal language that I learned, whenever you see a word repeated, you're supposed to pull back and go, okay, this is significant. This is important. And this word in particular in the Greek is amen. So really how Jesus starts, he's saying, amen, amen. Hey, listen up. I want to get all your attention. What I'm about to say is of utmost significance. This is a matter of life and death, and I don't want you to miss it. And what is this invitation that Jesus gives? What is this invitation that he is extending to all that are there this morning, or to all that were there that morning, and to all that are here this morning? What is this invitation? This invitation is to believe. He's going to qualify, he's going to clarify and and say exactly what that belief looks like. How it's framed. What we are to believe in. Who we are to believe in. The invitation to believe. What is believe? If we pull it back, what is believing? It's to be convinced that something is true and therefore worthy of your trust. I know this is a weak analogy, but all the chairs you are sitting in, to some extent, is a good illustration of that. None of you would have sat down on those chairs, even though right now you might be questioning your wisdom, wondering if your chair is going to last, but you sat down upon that chair, believing what? That that chair was going to support your weight. That's what is believe, is to be convinced of something, but but let me expand more on, on what a biblical understanding of belief is. First, belief is something that involves our minds. We don't check out. We don't have blind faith. We have faith that is based upon the revelation of Scripture and the very words of Jesus Christ. So this is a belief in something, namely content or information. And in this way, this content is limited by what Jesus Christ says about himself, about life, and about death. That is what you must believe. But believe is even more than that. Believe is also this idea of our will that we are to be persuaded that what we are believing in is entirely true. You don't come in halfway and go, well, man, I hope this all works out in the end. No, this is a a belief that you are completely persuaded. And third, It is a belief that is personal. That means that just because your parents believed, you don't get the free ticket to heaven. That just because someone else close to you believed. No, this is something that you must do personally yourself. And as a result, it's something that happens within your own heart. I can't tell you to believe. You must believe. You personally And where do we see such a belief I'm, Belief and, and an example of it? I'm glad you asked. Let me try to, to blend in John chapter 20. Where we see this kind of belief is seen first in the, in the life and the response of John. This gospel that we are reading through right now, this is the account of John. 
John was there when Jesus was tried and crucified. John was there on this blessed day when Jesus rises from the dead. So this is a first-hand account. And look at what he says. John chapter 20. I'm just going to go verses 1 to 10. We're just going to highlight John. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Mary Magdalene, she was a woman who has a terrible wrecked past. She had seven demons that the Lord Jesus Christ cast out from her. And from that point on, she followed Jesus as a disciple. She loved him. She followed him. And so she comes this morning to look after his body, to anoint him with oil for the burial. But she gets there and it's disturbing to her. This is not a good scene. This is a bad scene on top of an already bad scene. She didn't think that Jesus was going to die. The crucifixion doesn't make sense to almost all of them. They're not getting it. They come here and they expect what? A dead man. A dead man's body that they're going to go through the normal routine of getting his body ready. But instead they get the most glorious surprise ever. And so she ran and she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's that? That's John. He won't even name himself in his own book. He's just known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And no doubt John loved him as well. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. She wasn't alone, but she was the spokesman for the, for the women saying, man, you go tell the guys what happened. And so Peter and the other disciple, verse 3, went forth and they were going to the tomb. And the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. John was a bit of a, of a track star, but a little bit slower to take steps of faith. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter, also following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So now Peter's mind is going. He's inside looking. John's outside looking in. And then we see the sweet depiction of what John does next. So the other disciple, speaking of John, he's speaking of himself, who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and what? He saw and believed. Notice, he saw and believed because he saw Jesus Christ risen? No. He saw and believed just based purely upon the evidence that his body was gone, but the wrappings look just like they did when he was dead. And they brought his body here. I know, I saw it, Peter. Don't you get it, Peter? He is gone, but he's not gone, gone. He's alive and he's risen. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. And so we see John as the first who responds to what is given to him. What he knows 
to be true is that, okay, Jesus said he's going to rise from the dead. I now get it. I see that he is gone, but the linens are still here. He puts one and one together, places his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, before he can see him, do you know who that is like? That is like every one of us this morning. Hearing what God's word says and trusting that what God's word says is indeed true. Jesus did raise from the dead. And that, believing, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So how do you follow the footsteps of of John today? You believe as John did. Let me give you three things that you must believe. This is the gospel. This is the good news about Je- from Jesus Christ. This is what saves us from eternal damnation. Believing in this and only believing in this. Number one, you must believe that God is not like you. He is perfectly holy. Perfectly holy means he is set apart from sin. That means no sin can be anywhere near his presence. John, in his first epistle that he writes, he says this about God. In 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus. This is what Jesus told us. And announced to you that God is light and that in him there is no darkness at all. You see, darkness in the scriptures represents sin. Sin is what? Missing the mark. It is anything that does not go into accordance with what God says is good and right. And this is the second thing that you must believe. And if you're honest with yourself, you have to agree with me that you're just like me in this. And that is you must believe that you are a sinner. That you don't always do the right thing. And we could talk about the Ten Commandments. We can talk about lying, stealing, cheating. And every one of us would have to raise our hands and say, at some point, yes, that's what I did. And for those of you that have kids, you recognize it even the more. Why? Because even before they can talk, even before they can walk, when they're still in that crawling stage and they can't communicate to you, and you're telling your child, hey, don't go any closer to that stove right there. That stove is hot. So you pick up your little child. You bring them back. And then you get back over here to do your dishes. And what happens? They just go right back to that stove. Do you have to teach your kids to disobey you? No. It comes natural to them. Why is that? It points back to Adam. This is why we're all sinners. It goes back to the beginning of the Bible, to the beginning of time, not God's time. He doesn't have a beginning. He's eternally always existed. But in the beginning with Adam, he tells Adam after he creates him, he says, hey, buddy, you can eat from any tree in this awesome garden except for that one right there in the middle. You know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, you see it right there in the middle. That is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat from that, Adam, listen to me. You eat from that tree, you will surely die. What's implied? You don't eat from that, you will live forever. I am the giver of life, I am the eternal one, so I am the only one that can give you eternal life. Follow me, obey me, and it will go well with you. 
But then we know what happens. Satan comes in, and he deceives Eve, and then she pulls her husband and then gives him the fruit. And, and what happens? They eat. And Adam being our federal head, the represent, re, representative for, for all mankind, he then sins, death enters the world, and since that point on to present day, this is how we're born. To make matters worse, God's word says, do you know what the wages of sin is? Do you know what you earn for sin? You know what you earn for work? You negotiate, right? You don't just take a job without knowing how much you're going to make. And so you're given whatever salary that you've come up with that package for when you take that job. Well, do you know what, what your wages earn for the sinning that you do? From the time you're little that it keeps going, do you know what's happening? It's like a bank account, but it's the wrong kind of bank account. This isn't money that's building up. It's God's wrath upon you because of all the sin that you, you start here when you're little and it keeps going. Actually, it starts when you're in the womb. And it keeps going and going and going and going. And God's word says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Rightfully so. God would be just to sentence us all to an eternal torment in hell, paying for our sins, suffering for them. Why? Because he is a holy, righteous, and just God. He cannot let sin go unpunished. But the glorious good news is that that's not the end of Romans 6.23. Because right after it says, for the wages of sin, it says, but the free gift, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is what you must thirdly believe in. In him and him alone. And that is what we see John believing in. And turning back to John chapter 6, verse 47, then what does Jesus say is given to John for him believing in Jesus Christ? Okay, I'll answer my own question. He who believes has eternal life. Eternal life. Do you know what that means in the Greek? It's, it's really deep. Life without end. A life that does not ever, no, ever, end. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and as many evers as you can add on to that, that's how long we will live with God in joy and in harmony and sweet fellowship if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then Jesus goes on and he says something. Honestly, this is weird. Look at what he says in verse 48. But this is so incredibly sweet. He says in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Not I am a bread of life as in, hey, you can go get a muffin. You can go get a tortilla. You can go get wheat. You can go get rye. You can get sourdough. Hey, anywhere you want to go, you're going to find eternal life. Go to Confucius. Go to Mohammed. You just go wherever. And you know what? You're good to go. No, he doesn't say that at all. His claim is exclusive. He says, I am the bread of life. Not a bread of life, the bread of life. What's implied? Outside of me, you miss it. That's what he says. Do you know what the Middle East, Central Asia, North and South Africa, Europe, America, Australia, and China, do you know what they all have in common? Take a stab at it. Bread. Bread is their main staple. 
Even in the country of Papua New Guinea where we live for so long, they have it main staple that you know what they do with it? They fry it and it ends up looking like, well, kind of a wannabe tortilla that tastes a little bit more like cardboard than a tortilla, but that's their main staple. What is Jesus' point? His point is, hey, I know what you guys eat every day. It's bread. Hey, try this. Stop eating. Just stop eating. Do you know what happens? You die. You die. That, that is why we eat. I know some of us eat because we love the way it tastes. Some of us are a lot more healthy, and, and you eat because you know it's good for you. Jesus isn't relating to himself in such a way that, that he's saying, oh, eat from me because food is essential to life. He's using that as an example to say, hey, I recognize that your daily life is based upon what you eat. Now let me bring this to you. I don't want you eating from my flesh. He's not talking about cannibalism. When we, when we moved into our tribe, there were still five guys that were cannibals. That is not what Jesus is saying. He's not talking about communion. He hasn't instituted communion yet. This has nothing to do with taking him literally. He's not talking so much about eating his body as he is referring to eternal life is given through believing in him. That's what his point is. He's saying as you look at food to sustain you and keep you alive on this earth, Jesus say, says you must look to me and me alone in order to give you that which will allow you to live, not just for today, not just for tomorrow, but for all of eternity. What's so compelling about what Jesus says here is, is what happens earlier in John chapter 6. You see, Jesus has gotten very famous. And more and more people are following Jesus everywhere. Why? Because he's the miracle man. He's doing miracle after miracle after miracle. So everybody's following him around, try, trying to get a glimpse of the man, the myth, the legend, Jesus Christ. So you know what happens? A whole bunch of people follow. He tries to hide out somewhere, but they come anyways. And then he teaches them all day long. Why? Because he knows that his miracles don't grant eternal life. That's the pull in to re for them to recognize who he is, that he is God. And that is the reason why he can do this. And there's no other reason. And so what does he do? He, he preaches and teaches them all day long. And then he gets to be the end of the day. And his disciples are like, man, send them away. Jesus, there's like 5,000 men. And just, just the men alone, there's 5,000. And Jesus says, well, how are we going to feed them? He's testing their faith. And they're like, man, if we had wages for a year, we couldn't do this. Are you kidding me? Please send them away. This is, this is hurting our brains. And Jesus says, what do we got? And they say, five loaves and two fish. He says, sweet, give that to me. And he prays and he asks the Lord to bless it. And what happens? A miracle. He feeds like 15, 20,000 people with these five loaves and two fish. Now turn with me to John chapter 6, verses 26 to 40, and I want to fill in a little bit so that we fully understand what he's saying in 47 to 51, because you know what? This isn't the first time that Jesus has called himself the bread of life. He does it earlier, and he does it right after he's done this miracle of changing these five loaves of bread into umpteenth million loaves of bread in order to, to feed some, what, 20,000 people. 
And then people are still following him all over the place. He again tries to hide out with his disciples to have some time alone, and they follow him. He sends them on a ship. He walks across the water. They put one and one together because they've counted ships, and they're like, well, there's only one ship. Jesus didn't take that. How did he get from point A to point B? And that's the answer. That's what they want to know. Look at verse 25, John chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? He doesn't even answer their question. Hey, I don't want you to consider that I walked across the water because you're going to lose me. I have something much more important to tell you that you must listen. And then he does another truly, truly statement. Jesus answered them and said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. See, you're only thinking about today. You're only thinking about your belly. Listen, I lived with people who live like this. We lived with them for almost 16 years where they seriously gardened in order to eat. They'd have to go find their food every day or else they went hungry. Not, not like us. Jesus is talking to, to people like that. And look at what he says. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father, God, has set his seal. And therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, there's nothing that you can do. He says this, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent, a.k.a. pointing to himself that you believe in me. You can't do anything to earn eternal life. That's all the other religions of the world. What Christ is declaring is entirely something different. I did it all. You believe in me and I will take you there. And then look at what they say. This is alarming. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Wait a minute. He just performed a work. It was like the day before he fed over thousands and thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. But now they're saying, well, really, that's not enough. You need to impress us a little bit more. Hey, look at our boy, Mo. Remember him, Moses? Here, we'll remind you. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. In other words, hey, Moses, I mean, you did a cool thing. You, you fed that, you know, us. You fed that whole group one, you know, for one day. But Moses did this for 40 years with, man, how many millions of, of our forefathers? What you got, Jesus? What, what are you going to do that, that, you know, somehow measures in the same ballpark as Moses? Moses hit it way over the back fence. I, I, we would expect you to do likewise, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, listen to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven. You guys are confused. But it is my Father who gives you the what? The true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. See, that was their problem. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me I lose nothing. But I raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. That is the guarantee. Long before Jesus goes to the cross, long before Jesus raises from the dead, he's already promised that that is what he is going to do. So what's his whole point? It's this. He wanted to let them know, and all of us this morning, please listen to this, that he actually had come to offer all of mankind something much greater than him feeding a group of how many thousands for one day. What he'd come to do was much greater than that. What he was offering was greater than that. His invitation is much greater than that. And his invitation is greater than even what Moses and what God did through Moses in the wilderness for 40 years, giving them their food. What Jesus has come to offer, to give, what his invitation extends to is not one one day, not one year, not 40 years, but all of eternity. That is what Jesus is saying. That that is what his point is. And the reality is not everybody believes, right? Not everybody's going to take Jesus at his word and actually believe it, which is why we see next him also give a warning. And his warning is sobering and it's stern. And his warning is don't believe and then what? Then you will die. But he's not just talking about physical death. You see, when Adam and Eve, and when they sinned, when they disobeyed God, and they took that fruit, do you recognize that their death was twofold? There, there was, yes, a physical death. They didn't die instantly, but at that point, their ticker for death started. But they also died spiritually. At that particular time, they were separated from God. Why? Because he is holy. Well, we see the same thing. In verse 49, as Jesus says this, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Notice what Jesus is doing here. He's not saying that manna is a bad thing. He's not saying that manna wasn't a blessing. In fact, turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. No, manna was awesome. I know the Israelites got tired of it and they complained about it, but it was God's provision for them. It was what kept them alive. It was God's grace extended to the nation of Israel when they did not deserve it. That's God, that's grace. So they start to complain. And we know the story. God delivers them from Egypt, and then they're like, what? You brought us out here so we die? Of starvation and thirst. And look at what the Lord says, verse 11. Exodus chapter 16, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them, saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So what did God supply? He supplied quail or meat so they could kind of have like chicken dinners at night, and then he also supplied them manna, which literally translated means what is it? They didn't even know what it is. That was their bread. And God supplied that 
But notice, when God supplied that, he supplied that for one day and one day only. He was letting them know that this is a momentary, it's a now kind of thing. There was no thought of eternity. There was even no thought of a week down the road. If you, if you tried to hide some of that manna in your house because you thought, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe God will sleep in tomorrow. And we won't get any manna. If you tried to do that, it would, it would be full of maggots and worms. It was only good for that particular day. That's, that's the whole point of what Jesus is saying. Yes, manna was great. Manna was God's provision. But you know what? They still died. They still died. For as good as manna was, it was only temporary, and it couldn't do one thing that is needful, and that is to keep death away. The manna wasn't some sort of, I don't know, fountain of, of youth. It wasn't some sort of bread of eternal life that if you ate from it, you wouldn't grow old and you would live forever. You still, grow, you still growed old or grew old and then you died. What's Jesus' point? Jesus' point is the same for them as it is for us today. You can't escape death. Death is coming. We all will die someday. The, the question isn't, Whether you will die, it's, are you ready to die? Are you prepared to die? Are you ready to die well? That's what Willie didn't do. He he didn't die well because he didn't have the hope of the gospel. Not even close. But notice with all that Jesus says about death, he says that much more about life and living. Death is only mentioned a couple times here, but in these verses, life is mentioned five times. And that is exactly where Jesus wants to go, that he is not trying to emphasize death so much as he's trying to emphasize eternal life is found in me. Look at verse 50. That's exactly what he says. They just talked about manna, and then it's as if he points to himself and he says, but this, me, is the bread of the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Speaking of himself, what he's offering is much better than what Moses gave the nation of Israel when they were in the wilderness. Jesus even says this in John chapter 6, verse 32 and 33 that we read earlier. He says... Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you what? The true bread out of heaven. See, manna did come from heaven, but it wasn't the true bread. Jesus Christ is the true bread. And so what Jesus is saying is what I can offer you is so much better than what your ancestors got from Moses. And it is as if to crescendo his entire little mini sermon in chapter 6. Look at what he says in, in verse 51. He ties in the crucifixion and the resurrection here. He's pointing to them both. As he says this, oh, I'm, I'm not just the bread of life anymore. I am the what? The living bread that came down out of heaven. I am God. I am God incarnate. And I've come to offer you. Life, but not just living right here, right now, today. I am the living bread for all of eternity. 
And if anyone eats of this bread, if anyone believes in me, he will what? Live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is what is my flesh. What's he pointing to there? He's pointing to his body that he's going to sacrifice his body, his flesh, for all of those that would believe in him. So what would have changed Willie Mogham's life? More in particular, what would have changed his death? What would have made him to be able to die well? If he would have followed Mary's example. Turn with me back to John chapter 20 and we'll wrap up this morning with this. So, so sweet encounter that Mary has with Jesus. So we saw the first who believed in Jesus without actually meeting him, without seeing the risen Savior. Now we're going to see the one who, by God's grace, and notice it's a woman. That adds a whole lot of meaning to what is happening here. Why? Because women were considered so subservient, such a lesser, a lower class in this society. And so what is Jesus declaring to us all? It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what other people say about you. You know what? It doesn't even matter what you think about you. What Jesus says about you is, I love you. I want you to believe in me. Look at how he goes after Mary. Mary, who is obviously just distraught. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. I mean, can you, can you picture what Mary was thinking? She's all alone. Man, at least the guys could have waited for her. But no, Peter and John, they take off. I don't even know how they missed each other, but somehow they miss each other. And so now she's alone at the tomb, and she's stooping and looking in. Man, she does, she's not going to go in there. What is she thinking? She's thinking that Jesus' body was stolen. And then she saw, look at verse 12, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. So she knew exactly where Jesus' body was. And then what did they say to her? And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? I mean, that's just a dumb question. But they're trying to pull out of her. And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Why does Mary turn around? God's grace. Jesus sought her out. And then she felt his presence. Maybe the angels did some sort of nod. But in either way, she turns and she doesn't know who he is. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And he adds a little another question, whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, sir if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and, and I'll take him away. And this had to be beyond sweet. And wouldn't you have loved to hear this? Jesus said to her, Mary, picture your name. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to, the, to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Before he was not your God, now he's my God and your God. 
And it may not seem very loving and touching for Jesus to say, hey, stop clinging on to me. But really what he's doing is he's teaching her. I think the best way to picture this is a little kindergartner going to school for the first time with mommy. And you know what happens is he gets to school and she drops him off. It dawns on him, where are you going? And so what does that that little guy do? That little girl grabs onto mom's feet right at the ankle and usually puts their, their backside right on the shoe, right? So just sitting there. Anywhere mom goes, the kindergarten is following along. That, that's kind of like what Mary's doing here. Hey, I'm not going to let you go this time. No, no, that's too much grief. That was too hard. And Jesus is saying, no, I've got a job for you. I, I'm sending you to the boys. Go tell them. And on top of that, I want you to understand, please get this, Mary. I'm sending a helper. It's no longer going to be like it was before. It will be. I will come back again, but not yet. Now I'm going back to the Father. And I can't go back to the Father. Or the Holy Spirit can't come unless I go back to the Father. I'm thinking of you, Mary. I'm thinking of all of those that will believe. And then so does, what does Mary do? I'm thinking Mary's little jaunt from the tomb to where the guys were. She probably broke a five-minute mile. Running on air, running on clouds, beyond excited, Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. So when it was evening, let me go on to 19 and 20 because these are so good. The first day of the week and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. So they're scared to death. All the doors are shut. They're not thinking about Jesus and who shows up. Jesus came and stood in their midst. And said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. That is the response of those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. That they are full of joy. That doesn't mean that life is always easy. Are you kidding me? No. But we know where we are heading when we die. Do you? That, that is the question for us all this morning. That is what Jesus is getting at. Do you recognize this morning that much like manna that you could have either accepted, put in a, in a little can, and then eaten all day, that you could have equally said, you know what, I'm tired of manna today, I'm just going to stomp all over it. You can do the same with the bread of life. The bread of eternal life with Jesus Christ's invitation. We, we see it throughout Scripture again and again. The thieves on the cross. One rejects him. One receives him as his Lord and Savior. Which one are you going to be this morning? Let me challenge you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only giver of eternal life before it's too late and you reject him as Savior and then all of a sudden you are looking at the same life that Willie Mogham lived. And death will come too soon for you. And then it will be too late. There are only two kinds of people in this world. Those who have partaken in the bread of life, of eternal life, those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and those who have believed in him for salvation of their soul, they are the ones that are satisfied with their lives because they have the bread of life. But there are others like Willie 
that I mentioned at the beginning of, of, of our time together. And, and those have tried many, many ways to bring satisfaction and joy to their lives and happiness. But with, with all that they've sought after, in the end they're left unsatisfied and longing. If that's you this morning, stop searching for something that you won't find outside of Jesus Christ. Stop searching. Come to the bread of life. Trust in him and him alone this morning. And if that is the case, if you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you would repent of your sins, turning from them to him, I'm not going to ask you to, to stand up because then you might think it was you standing up that saves you. I'm not going to ask you to, to say a sinner's prayer because then you might think it was the prayer that saved you. You know, in our, in our tribe, the missionaries that were there before us, man, good guys, we love them to death. Do you know they recorded the gospel message when they finally gave it to our village? They recorded it, put it on these tapes, and then you kind of wrapped around like this, and the tape would play again. Do you know that when we got in there 15 years later, there were some there who believed the only way that you could be saved is if you had those tapes and listen to that particular missionary's voice through that tape. It was their way of basically working out their salvation. There's nothing you can do to earn God's free gift of salvation except believing. So trust in Him today. Now, is it okay for you to pray? Oh, totally. But it's not your prayer that saves you. It is Jesus Christ and you believing in Him. And you believing what I had said at the beginning of the sermon, that you are a sinner, that you're in need of a Savior, and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. And so you accept his free gift, and you're just like, I can't believe it, but thank you. And then Jesus has this to say for you, or to you, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death and into life. If that is you this morning, or if you still have questions, please come into the sanctuary after our time and, and love to get together with you or one of the elders, another pastor, some of the ladies here. If, if you have questions, please. Or if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have believed today for the very first time, come in, we'd love to give you a Bible. We'd love to make sure that, that you are slotted to attend a good, solid church that loves the Lord, loves his word. Let me end with this. For all of us that do know the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what James Boyce has to say about this passage. It is so challenging. Well then, is Jesus as real to you spiritually as something you can taste or handle? Is he as much a part of you as that which you eat? Do you think me blasphemous? When I say that he must be as real and as useful to you as a hamburger and french fries. I say this because although he is obviously far more real and useful than these. The unfortunate thing is that for many people. He is much less. Does Jesus really mean anything to you? If he does let's continue to celebrate him today. And is oh so immeasurable, radiant resurrection. Let me pray as the, as the worship team, Pastor Shame, come up. 
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word and just how clear it is to us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your words, your words of life, that you are the bread of life, that you are the true bread of life, that you are the living bread, that you rose from the dead, that you conquered death. And so we do not need to fear death anymore, and we praise you for that this morning. And we say thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.